manage our money? How do we do it in a way that honors him? And what's cool about it is if you obey God in this area, you're actually blessed and, and you'll have the best financial situation that you've ever had just by following his principles. That's just the way that it works in the scripture. And today we're talking about debt because if you want financial freedom, it, debt is probably the biggest hurdle that people have. I mean, it's the one thing that seems to stand between so many people and their financial dreams and their financial future is this thing called debt. And so we're going to spend some time uh, talking about that this morning and seeing what God has to say about that. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you're going to use that Bible that's there provided for you, just turn it to page 168. You'll be right where you need to be this morning and as always. And if you're uh, new with us this morning, you're um, always encouraged to follow along in the app. If you just search Oakwood Enid in the Google Play Store or the App Store, um, you can uh, download our app, go to sermon notes there, and all the scriptures and all the bullet points and all of, there will, all of that will be there for you uh, this morning. So Deuteronomy chapter 28, let me give you a little bit of background here. Deuteronomy is the fifth book of the Bible. It's part of the first five books, which is known as the Torah, or God's law. It's the law that God has given to mankind. So it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. thought it was appropriate that we do Deuteronomy today since we have child dedication because I've always thought Deuteronomy would be a great name for a little brother. You could call him Dude. You know, it's like, what's up, Dude? You know, but anyway. Uh, Deuteronomy is actually, what it means is second law. And let me give you a little background into what's happening before we read this passage this morning. Moses is about to, is on the, on the, just right there on the edge of the promised land. Now, if you know the story of Moses, and we don't have time to get into it this morning, but he's actually not going to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land because of some of the decisions that he made. He's going to suffer the consequences. He can be right there. He can taste it. He can see it. It's right there. But there'll be another leader that God brings up within the nation of Israel, which will actually lead them into the promised land. But right now, they're on the plains of Moab. And, and the promised land is right there, and the book of Deuteronomy is him reminding the nation of Israel of all the laws of God that he's given them in the book of Exodus and the book of Leviticus, and that's why it's called the second law. He's reminding them, you guys have to go God's way, and as you enter the promised land, you're going to be tempted to forget the Lord, and, and at the beginning of Deuteronomy, like the first four chapters, he reminds them of the time of their slavery in Egypt. He says, hey, you've been enslaved in Egypt for all these years. Remember what that felt like. Don't go back there again. Don't become slaves to not only other people groups or to their ways and the way they conduct their, their lives, but don't become slaves to sin. Go God's direction in all of this. And so he's, he's urging the people to stay connected to God, to go his direction. And as we read this passage, you'll see him urge the people to follow God. Now, there's one thing that I want you to pay attention to also in Deuteronomy 28. And that's this little tiny word that, that's just two letters, if. I want you to notice the cause and effect of blessing because they're obeying the Lord. There's this cause and effect there. So let's read it together. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, we're beginning with verse 1. And it's in a section of scripture that you might uh, read at the top there. Mine says, blessings for obedience. This is Moses talking to the nation of Israel. And this is what he says. And if you faithfully, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb 
and the fruit of the ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increases of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. Do you see? It's like a manifold blessing of God. All all areas of their life are going to be blessed if, what does it say? If you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord, if you remember the laws of God, and if you obey the Lord. Now look at verse 7. The Lord, this is more of the blessing here of following God. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. In other words, you're going to scatter your enemies. You're going to see that as they go into the promised land and as they have to to push other people groups out of the land that God has given them. Verse 8, the Lord will command the blessings on you in your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people holy to himself as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of the ground within the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all of the work of your hands. And let's catch this. And you, you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you shall only go up and not down if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right hand or to the left, to go after other gods, little g-gods, to serve them. Isn't it interesting, as he's going through all this and he's reminding them, if you just obey the Lord, if you'll just remember the Lord, if you'll just go his direction in life, if you'll just move his way, look at all the blessings he's going to give the nation of Israel. And then it's interesting to me that in verse 12, he, he reminds them, and this is a principle from Exodus, this is a principle from Leviticus about borrowing. He says, you shall lend to many nations, you're going to be prosperous. If you obey my commands, you're going to be prosperous. And you will lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow period you're not going to borrow you're not going to be in debt and and God has a principle here he's he's trying to teach us and and it's all throughout scripture is that I want you to owe nothing to anyone except love I want you to owe nothing to anyone but only be indebted to God for the grace he's given us through his son Jesus Christ and God is telling the nation of Israel here I don't want you to serve anyone else I don't want you to be concerned with anyone else I don't, I don't want you to be enslaved to anyone else. I want you to be my people, my children, and only enslaved to me. Because of choice, because I'm a good God, and I'm your master, and I'm your savior. And we're going to talk about that later. But, but why do we go into debt? Have you ever thought of this? Why do we go into debt? I, I'm going to give you two quick reasons this morning. The first one is this. is I believe that we have a trust issue. If we want to be honest this morning, why do we go into debt? I think it's because we have a trust issue. And, and this is the issue, is that, that we think that God has some inability to provide for us. That we actually don't trust in God's ability to provide for us. We don't trust in God's provision for us. 
And if you, if you pause and you think about that for a second, you're like, that doesn't even make sense, even according to Scripture. Look what it says in Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19 says this, And my God will supply every need. Which needs? Just these needs? No. It says every need. Everything I need? Every need. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But for some reason, we have this inability to trust God. We find ourselves trusting in other things more than God. And if we're honest this morning, we can pause for a moment and, and take an honest inventory and an honest reflection on our life. We could say, yeah, you know what? I've struggled with that. You could say that is true of me. Is that, yeah, I trust God so far, but I don't know if I can actually trust him all the way. And that includes in provision in my life. I mean, if we did believe in that, then everyone would tithe. Churches would not have money troubles. In fact, they said if every Christian that actually claims to be a Christian would actually tithe and give 10% of their income, it's amazing what the, what the church, and I'm talking about Oakwood, that the church worldwide could do. It, it said if we could fund all the un, underfunded um, ministries in all the world, there would be no one hungry, no one without water, no one without shelter. We would actually feed, clothe, water, and shelter all of the poor in all of the world. And still have enough money left over that we could fund the educational system in the United States completely. And we could actually buy all the schools and pay all the teachers and take care of everything. And even after doing all of that, so we're wiping out worldwide poverty, we're buying the schools and, and completely renovating the education system. Even after all of that, there would still be money left over if God's people would obey. But what's holding us back? I believe one of the things is trust, is we, we, we have a trust issue. The second thing is a lack of contentment, a lack of contentment. Amazon has ruined us. I want what I want, and I want it now. I want what I want, and I want it now, and Amazon can provide. I mean, if you see something online, in fact, you can get on your phone right now, get on the Amazon app, find what you like. Some of those items can be here tomorrow. I mean, isn't that awesome? You don't have to leave your house. You, you can have it delivered to work. You go to work in the morning. There it is. It's instantaneous gratification. And we kind of get used to that. We kind of get used to that timing. Uh, is it, we have this contentment issue that I, I want it and I want it now and we're going to make that happen. Now, if you can't get the one day on Amazon, guess what? You get Prime membership. It's two days on everything. You could have it Tuesday if you order it today. Isn't that amazing? And we kind of get used to that. And then sometimes we have a hard time waiting. Sometimes we have a hard time waiting on the Lord. We have a hard time waiting on his provision. We have a hard time waiting on his timing. And, and, and here's, here's one of the facts of that this morning about debt, okay? Think about this. Debt is our way of giving ourselves what God hasn't given us yet. Debt is our way of giving ourselves what God hasn't given us yet. And because we want it, and because we want what we want, because we want it now, guess what? We'll just go get a loan. Or we'll put it on that piece of plastic that we all love and adore, the credit card. The problem with debt is you don't just pay back the debt. You pay back this thing called interest. And interest is very interesting. In fact, it's very interesting. And some of you that have paid interest know. It's amazing that on a home, uh, you would call that probably a good interest, good interest rate. Uh, Amy and I have bought a home. 
Uh, we didn't have the cash to pay for it, so we uh, went to the bank and got a loan on it and we tried to be disciplined, got a 15-year note on it. We're paying 2.875%. That's really low interest. You say, man, that's, a, that's great. You know, Some credit cards, I was looking at one, I got an offer this week, and their base rate for that credit card was 26.99% interest. This is the fact of it. If I had $1,000 on that credit card and I just made the minimum payments uh, to pay off that $1,000, I would actually pay more than $4,800, I think it was, and that would take me a little over 25 years. That's where we're at as a culture. And that's just one example of what debt can do in our lives. And so many times we have this lack of contentment. that says, I want it and I want it now, and because of that, I'm going to make it happen. And sometimes... Going into debt is our way of giving ourselves what God wants us to wait for, what God hasn't given us yet. If you think about America, we are addicted to debt. Even Christians, you think, well, we should know better, but we find ourselves in debt so often. And so what I want to go into this morning is what does Scripture say about that? How how do we manage this? If we're already in debt, how do we get out of it? What's the best way to get out of it? Um, How does God feel about this? What does he have to say in his word about all this? You know, because it, it brings up some questions, doesn't it? Is debt sin? Is taking out a loan a sin? You know, what if I don't repay that? I mean, how does God view all of this? And he gives us several guidelines in the word. There's a a guy by the name of David Rosenberg. He's a a financial economist type of guy. Very well respected. He's in the papers. You could find him online. And uh, he was talking about debt in America. And he said, in 1950... The uh, debt ratio to household income ratio, the debt to income ratio in a house in the United States was 30%. 30%. And you, you think, wow, that's, that's really, really good. In today, and the last stat that I had that I could see was 2018. In 2018, the average debt ratio to household income is 120%. Average. That means that we bring in 100% of our income and we spend 120% of it. Why? Because we're taking out a loan, we're putting it on MasterCard, or we're putting it on Discover, or we're putting it on Visa, or we're going to the payday loan place, or we're going to little, little, just a little loan over here, we're going to take out a home equity loan, or we're going we're gonna to get money from somewhere to what? To get what I want, when I want, what I want, and to get it now. And it puts us in this thing called debt. It's like a prison it's really hard to get out of. It's really easy to get into, though. Uh, maybe you've heard of Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey gives an illustration, tells a story about this. He said, he illustrates it this way. He says, uh, going into debt today is a lot like going uh, down an escalator. You know, I love going down escalators, right? And even going up isn't bad, right? You just step on it and it just takes you there, you know? But it's like getting on the down escalator. But paying debt back is like going up, going up the down escalator that's full of people. <laughs> and I don't know if you've ever tried to do that or tried to imagine doing that, but yeah, it's very hard to go up a down escalator anyway, but when you fill it with people, it's nearly impossible. That's what it feels like. You ever had that experience? Maybe you made your first major purchase. Maybe it was a car. Maybe it was a house. And you go in there, and they throw this paperwork at you. And it's like, you know, you, you, you thought, okay, you know, my name, my address, you know, yeah, I have a bank, and yeah, I've got some money in there, and I own a table and chairs, and so I can give that to you if I can't pay. And you, know, you expect a few things, but it's like 17 pages, and you have to initial every page. And how many of you have actually read every word 
in that contract? Okay, that was the same as first service. No one's ever read every word and, and, and you know, every page. I mean, you'd be there for hours, right? And the person wanting you to sign does not have that kind of time. So you're just going to sign away. But have you ever had that experience where you leave and you're like, what have I done? <laughs> I have payments for how many years? $800 a month for eight years for a car? I don't even own a house after that. It's really, is that, did that, did that really happen? And we kind of feel guilty and you kind of go through this, this kind of just this, this remorse almost. But then we're really good at talking to ourselves. Yeah, but you deserve this. You've been working so, you, you deserve it. You've been working so hard for this. I mean, you've been driving around that hunk of junk for so many years. You've been living in that house. It was so small and so dainty. You've been, you've been driving that little boat. It was just a fishing boat. You needed a boat with some, some horsepower to it. Now you can go to the lake and ski. And, and you deserve this, and so it's okay. And we talk ourselves out of it. We start feeling good about our debt. But it's not normal. It, it can't be the new normal for us. We need to pay these things off. Romans chapter 13, verse 8, in the New Living Translation, says it this way. Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. That's what God wants is the only thing we're going to owe somebody is love. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. So if you want to avoid the bondage of debt and some of the consequences of debt, there's several things that we need to know, and that's what we're going to be talking about in the rest of our time this morning. And the first one is this. I want you to understand we're being blunt, honest, straight from the Bible up front here. The Bible doesn't forbid debt, but it does discourage it. The Bible does not absolutely forbid debt, but it does discourage it. Um, actually, just a few uh, chapters before in the book of Deuteronomy, we were reading chapter 28. In Deuteronomy 15, it actually lays down some guidelines for the nation of Israel if they're going to make a loan. If they're going to make a loan to one another within the nation of Israel. Now, there's a couple cool caveats to loaning in that time. Uh, one of those is they had a rule that, you, that if you were loaning to someone who had less money than you, to someone that was poorer than you, then um, you could not charge them interest. So they could repay back that loan to you, but you would make no money. You wouldn't profit on that. And so if, if you were loaning money to a poor person, you could not charge them interest. And I was like, well, that's a really good deal. That's the problem. There's a lot of people that are poor who, who are living beyond their means too, and, and they're going and getting these loans. They're not getting no interest. They're getting the worst interest ever. They're paying the highest Part of interest that you, I mean, it's unbelievable. There's some payday loan places now that are going up in the 30 and 40 percent range. Can you imagine trying to pay that back when you already feel like I have no money and I'm spending every dollar that comes in? It, it, it's a tragedy and really a travesty. And, and so, as part of their of their rules, there, God says you're not going to lend to a poor person. Another thing that was really cool about that time was God declared that every seventh year. All debts were canceled. And so everything was on short term. So if I, oh, I got to get a loan because I got to buy this seed. And I'm going to put it in my field to plant. And I'm going to start paying this guy back. Uh, you try to pay him back within seven years. If you couldn't, every seventh year, the slate was wiped clean. If you owe so-and-so, you know, you owe Joanna this. And you own John this over here. And after the seventh year, everything went back to the original owners. Everything was just wiped clean. It's like start all over. Nobody owes anybody anything. And God declared to the nation of Israel they would do that every seven years. 
It's really interesting because it not only discourages debt, but if you have to go in debt, it encourages you to do it on a very, very short timeline. That's the second thing this morning. The longest term of debt that you see in the Bible was seven years. It's also found in Deuteronomy 15. Seven years. And so what that tells us is there's this principle that if we're going to have to go in debt, we want to do it for the shortest amount of time possible. And when I came to Oakwood in 2003 as a children's minister, uh, the, church, the church was in debt at the time. Uh, it was almost $1.4 million. And what that was from was from when we built the activity center. We actually hadn't built this office part in the middle yet. Uh, that was, that was going to be built within the next two years. Um, it was completed 2000, late 2005, early 2006. But when we had built the activity center with the gym, with all the equipment and everything, um, they had saved up. Uh, for years, the church had been uh, doing financial fundraising and campaigns and it had, and it had raised over a million dollars. But when they actually went to complete the project, as happens in construction so many times, the costs had gone up. There were some things they, they added at the end. There were some things they needed to do that they didn't need, know they needed to do. There were some codes from the city that, hey, we need you know an extra 100000 to do this to keep you in code. And so the church was like, do we just keep this building incomplete or, or do we just keep going forward? And they made the choice. They said, hey, we're going to go forward. But when I came here, that note was on a 10-year, was on a 10-year term. Now, what that meant was we were paying a $10,000 a month house payment. When I became senior minister in 2008, I remember we refinanced the loan in 2008, 2010, and 2011. Three times in four years we refinanced to save ourselves interest on it. But the term never changed. It's like we're paying this thing off as fast as we can. And we did. We even did a mini fundraiser uh, toward the end. In late 2012, we actually paid off the debt. And you, you make an argument. Sometimes people are saying, well, you're not following God's ways. And, and sometimes I feel like it's necessary. And I get that part of life. It's, it, it, there's going to be a time where maybe you have to do it. But do it with a plan. You see, we had a plan to pay it off. And you should have a plan to pay it off. When you go into debt, whether it be on a house or a car or whatever it is, have a plan to pay it off. Make it the shortest term possible. Make the sacrifices and get it paid off as fast as you can. Sometimes you find yourself in a situation where you, maybe you weren't prepared for something. Maybe it's something medically or, or maybe, you know, it's all your appliances go out at the same time and your emergency fund of $1,000 has gone like that and, and you're like, what are we going to do? We can't live with dirty clothes. Okay, I get that. Do it if you have to finance it for the shortest term possible. The Bible's our guide on that. Nothing over seven years in Scripture was ever financed longer than that. Third thing this morning, if you're in debt, it affects your attitude and your outlook on life. Many people don't want to hear this or don't accept it, but I, I want to give you a couple examples this morning because I think then you'll agree. that If you are in debt, it absolutely affects your outlook on life. It affects your attitude toward things that come your way in life. Let me give you a couple examples. First one is this. Let's say you have no debt. Okay, you are completely debt-free. You don't owe on anything. The only bills that you have coming in the month is what you are your consumables is what they would say. You know, your electricity, your gas, what you pay at the grocery store for food. That's it. You don't have a house payment. You don't have a car payment. You don't have a payday loan payment. You don't have a, oh, I had to have it this Christmas on my credit card payment. You don't have any of that stuff. You have no payments. And you get to April of next year, and the IRS comes to you and says, hey, you owe us a little more in taxes. You owe us about $1,800. Now, if you have no payments... You've probably been saving money. It's like not a big deal, right? 
It's like, okay, man, I hate that. I hate, you know, I feel like I'm out more. Okay, but we write a check. We hand it over and we say, okay, you know, all right, we've got that. We've got it paid up. We're good to go. But let's reverse the role here for a second. Let's reverse the situation and consider you're in debt up to your eyeballs. You even bought the Sea-Doo that you've always wanted this past summer to the tune of $9,000 and put it on a $300 a month payment for the next four years. And so you've got that. You've got that extra insurance on that. You've got the boat. You've got the house. You've got the boat house. You've got the three cars, and two of them are 2018s. And so you are in debt up to your eyeballs, and now Mr. IRS comes and says, you owe $1,800. What do you do? You are freaking out. And don't act like you wouldn't be. Because why? Because all of your money is tied up in Visa and MasterCard and Discover and Bank of Oklahoma and Bank of America and Tinker Federal Credit Union. And, and well, I'm making all these payments, and here it comes. And so does that change your attitude? Absolutely. Because you're in debt. I'll give you another example. The church decides that we're going to update the facility had somebody uh, a few months ago come in and call our carpet casino carpet. And I was like, oh, it is from 2001, okay? But we didn't have casinos in Oklahoma then. So, but no, they said this exact carpet, they saw it in a casino. And ever since that comment was made, it bugs me horribly. But let's say the church decides, hey, we're going to update some things. or some things that are looking kind of shabby in the house of the Lord. And we want this to be nice for our guests. And we want to represent Christ well. So we're going to need to do this. And there's some technology. And we've got four air conditioner units out. We've got a leaky roof. We're going to have to do a campaign. We're going to have to do some fundraising here. If you are a person that has no debt, you don't owe payments to anyone, and the church comes and says, hey, we'd really like to, to raise this money. We'd like to do this in, in say, six months. And, and so we're asking everyone to, to dig down and make some sacrifices and to give generously to the Lord's work here and to help us fund this campaign so we don't have to go in debt as a church. And, and, and you're likely to say, okay, how much, how much do you need? Honey, what do you want to do? Let's do, let's, let's do 500. Let's do an extra 500 a month above our tithe and offering. And I tell you what, if we, we, you know, he's wanting us to sacrifice. Let's get rid of satellite for six months. I mean, you know, that won't kill us. Let's, let's get rid of satellite. We watch everything on the $9 Netflix. We'll take that extra $100 a month. We'll put that toward the campaign. Too. And you're right. You know, it's just easy, right? But what if? What if you have the boat and the sea doing and the house and the other house and the three cars and two of them are 2018? You know, what if you have all that? You have all these payments, all this debt, and the church comes to you. This is the response most of the time at church. All they want is your money. You don't believe in that? They don't say it in here. You know, they say it in the lobby or in the car on the way home. But they, so many times if the church expresses a need to the people and you have a handful, it's usually just a handful of people that say, oh, I'm never going back to that church. All they care about is your money. All they care about is seeing what they can get. And da, 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 da. Most of the time, if you ask that person, it's because they're tremendously in debt. And because really deep down inside... <laughs> Deep down inside, yeah, I want to do that. In fact, deep down inside, I've wanted to tithe my whole life. I've known the concept. I got taught it as a kid in Sunday school. I know that God wants that first fruits, that first 10% that Alan Seibel was talking about last week. Yeah, I get it, but I just can't because I bought some things that God hadn't given to me yet, and I decided to do it on my own terms, and now all these payments and it's when that happens the sad truth is is that when you're in debt it affects your life it affects your attitude it affects your outlook on life 
It can affect your future in life. And that's why we want to have a plan. And the main plan is to get there someday to where we don't have to go get a loan for something that we want to purchase. Fourth thing that we can learn from Scripture this morning is co-signing on a loan. Co-signing isn't a sin. I've been asked that before, but it is stupid. Okay, and I know that's a strong word. And can you say stupid in church? Yes, you can. There's actually Greek and Hebrew words that mean stupid. Co-signing isn't a sin, but it is stupid. Think about this. We're smart people. Why does the bank say they need a co-signer? Because they can't afford the loan. So they need someone else who has some money or has a job to work with them and for them because the bank believes you're not good for it. You need a co-signer, and then that person will be responsible for that money. Let's look what it says in Scripture. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 1 through 5 says this about this specific situation. My son, now listen to the desperation here, okay? My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger... If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught up in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep, your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of a fowler. Don't co-sign on alone. Proverbs 22, 26, and 27 says it this way. Be not one of those who gives pledges, who puts up security for debts. If you have nothing for which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? Because they are going to take it. And they may take it all if you don't make good on your pledge to pay. So don't go sign on loans. If you're going to need to do that to help somebody, my, my encouragement for you as a Christian is to be generous to someone and give them money and don't expect it back. You won't be mad at them the rest of your life. Man, I can't believe they never paid me back. And I was alone. And, you know, it, it, just, it clears up so much. Anytime you give people money, anytime you, you make them a loan, anytime they need money and they're going to, you know, can you co-sign with me? And you decide, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to give you the $2,000. Just don't expect it back and it'll go well with you. It'll be awesome. You bless them. You're, you're living a generous life just as God's called you to do. Last thing this morning. If you're in debt, you ought to get out as quick as possible. If you are in debt... You ought to get out of debt as quick as possible. Look what it says, Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrow and do not repay. And that's a problem for us. We want to get out of debt quickly for so many reasons, but let me share two thoughts with you this morning that you may not have thought of. The first one is we want to get out of debt quickly because of our testimony in Christ Jesus. That we're called to be a generous people, and that most people are they're in a lot of debt. They're not generous people. They're stingy people. And if you looked at their bank account, you would say, you spend everything on you. And you don't share with anyone. Some of you don't even share with your own family member, your own children. Some of you may be in that spot in life, your own parents. And so part of it is our testimony. But there's another part of this, too. The second is that you want to get out of debt for what it says in Proverbs 22.7. Let me read it again. Proverbs 22.7 says this. The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. You see, when you owe somebody money, you're working for them. 
The Bible uses some strong language here and says that you're actually enslaved to them until the debt is paid. And guess what? God doesn't want you to be enslaved in anything in life except to him. He wants the only debt that you owe another person in your life is to be a debt of love and not a debt of finances. And so if we're in debt, we want to get out as soon as possible because God wants to be the Lord and the ruler of our life. Now, you may sit here this morning and say, why is this such a big deal? Why is this such a big deal? Why is this a big deal to God? And can God really help me get out of debt? And I want to share this with you this morning. God already has helped you get out of debt. You may say, well, how? I didn't know I was in debt to God for anything. When you sin against God, there's a rule from the very beginning in the garden. When Adam and Eve sinned, there's no evidence in Scripture of there being death in the world at that time. But then Adam and Eve sin, and as part of that judgment, God says, I'm numbering your days, and everything in this world that is corrupted by sin is going to die. So you now have an expiration date. And guess what? Because I intended to have fellowship with you forever, all the days of your life, now there has to be a sacrifice. And the rule God started all the way back in Genesis was when there is sin, something has to die. And the payment for that sin is blood. That's how we get the animal sacrificial system in the Bible that you heard so much about, that they would slaughter innocent, beautiful, uh, blameless little lambs and that their blood would cover the sins of the family or cover the sins of the people or sometimes cover the sins of the entire nation of Israel. But the rule was, you sin against me, something has to die. And how this ties in to God and your indebtedness to him is that he sends his son Jesus as a sacrificial lamb and says, you know what? Once and for all, once and for all, I'm going to cover the sins of my people. The ones that would call upon my name and I would be their, be their Lord and their Savior and their Master. And I would be their God. I'm going to pay their indebtedness. And so someday, when you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you stand before the judgment seat of heaven, and God is going over the list of, hey, what about this, and what about this, and you owe me for this, and because of this sin, the, the blood is this, and at some point, Jesus comes in and says, Father, I've got this one covered. I paid all their debt through my blood, and I've removed their sin from them as far as the east is from the west, and they don't serve that anymore. And God welcomes them into eternal life. Not because of something that you did, but because of what his son did to pay the debt. Now, you may think this morning, well, that's great. I understand the eternal concept, and yes, and I believe that, and I see it in scripture. But what about my debt now? Because I owe 40000 on this, and 120 on this, and this. My monthly credit card bills, I'm paying the minimums. I'm going to be paying on them for 61 years. I'll be 84 when I pay them off. You know, something has got to happen. If you think... That if God can take care of eternal life and pay that debt, that he can't help you pay off the debt now? But what does he want you to do? What did it say in Deuteronomy 28? If you faithfully obey the voice and the word of the Lord your God, you'll be blessed and you're going out and you're coming in your womb and in everything in life you're going to be blessed if you'll just put me first. And that's the call of God this morning. 
He wants to be first, best, and most in your life. He wants to save you. He wants to help you. He wants you to help, help you get out of financial debt. But more than that, he wants you to get out of that eternal debt that can only save you, and it's only through the blood of Jesus Christ that you can be saved. As we come into this time of invitation this morning, and we're going to sing a song, and uh, we have a decision room right over here to your right. And there's going to be uh, ministers there. There's going to be uh, elders there, decision guides. They would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. As we sing this song this morning, it's a great song because it talks about the blood of Christ. And in the song, one of the lyrics you're going to have the opportunity to sing is, I owe all to you. I owe my life, the breath I take, everything, I owe it all to you. We have the opportunity to declare that this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come into this time of invitation, as you continue to work and move amongst us, God, I just pray, um, God, just, just remind us of the debt and the weight of sin that is in our life. And Lord, for some of us, that's financial. Yeah, we, we have gone about spending your money our way. We've done it on our timeline. We've given our stuff that you hadn't given us yet. We determined that, that we're going to live life this way. And some of us are, we're, we're in a real pickle. We're in a real jam, Lord. We are stressed out, stressed to the max. And God, you can rescue us out of that because we know you can rescue us out of hell. Now, the very, the very grips of Satan, Jesus' blood covers our sins. It says... In the scripture, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to purify us from all unrighteousness, even financial unrighteousness, Lord, that you can do that through the blood of Jesus if we'll just confess our sins to you and confess our need for a Savior and a Lord. And so, God, as we sing this song, whether we respond by going to the, to the decision room, whether we uh, respond by, by taking a time of prayer, or just declaring through our voice and singing out this morning, God, Use this time to draw us back to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.